You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Open God's holy word to the book of Deuteronomy. Our focus this morning will be chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading chapter 29, verse 29. Through chapter 10 and through chapter 30, verse 20. It's beginning with Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, And you call them to mind among the nations where Yahweh your God has driven you. And return to Yahweh your God, you and your children. And obey His voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Yahweh your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And He will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh your God has scattered you. If you are outcast in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there Yahweh your God will gather you. From there He will take you. Yahweh your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Yahweh your God, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And Yahweh your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you. And you shall again obey the voice of Yahweh and keep all His commandments that I command you today. Yahweh your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground. For Yahweh will again take delight in prospering you as He took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of Yahweh your God, to keep His commandments and His statutes that are written in the book of the, this book of the law, when you, re, when you turn to Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you today, by loving Yahweh your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply. And Yahweh your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. 
that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving Yahweh your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are undeserving sinners, every one of us. And the whole of all our obedience is your gift to us. Our hearts are in your hands, Father. You have made them new. Turn them to you. And we pray that you would take them this morning, that, that you, would, you would endear our hearts more to you, knowing your covenant love for us. That you would draw us closer to you. Yes, we know we are new in Christ, but we want, we want to commune with you. We know our heart is in your hand still. We pray your spirit will take your word to our hearts, conform us to the image of Christ more so, that love and obedience would pour forth from us, that we would have hearts that are attentive to hear your voice now. And Father, we cry out on behalf of those, especially our children that are present with us today. And we acknowledge, Father, their hearts are in your hand. Grant them the new birth. Circumcise their heart. So that they might love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When, then, then, when. And in between the two thens, the heart of this passage. That's the structure here. When, then, the heart then when? Antecedent, consequent, the heart, consequent, antecedent. But as we begin to jump in and we look at this first antecedent, it's critical that we determine, is it conditional or temporal? Is it an if or is it a when? Sometimes even when we see when, as we do in our text, we still might since a conditional nature to that win. So is it conditional or is it temporal? Is there an ifness to this or a winness? Is it an if then or a when then statement? And as we read it, while I believe there is an ifness that lies on the surface, you'll come to see that the winness of this predominates, is the most pronounced aspect. In the passage that we're dealing with, 1 through 10, we see not so much what should be, that is discussed in verses 11 through 20. But in the 
the first part of this chapter, 1 through 10, we see not so much what should be as what will be. Indeed, just after telling His people that the secret things belong to Yahweh, but the things that are revealed, God's law, belong to us and to our children forever that we may do them. Just after saying that, God graciously goes on to disclose something of the secret things. To tell them something of what will be. Something of the secret becomes the revealed here in verses 1 through 10. Now, what are these antecedents, the winness of this text? There are three of them in 1 through 2. First, all these things will come upon them. And these things being the blessing and the curses of the covenant. Both. They will experience both. And these are unfolded at large in chapter 28. And they are the subject that remains in view in chapter 29 as you come into chapter 30. So he's unfolded at length. These are the blessings of the covenant. These are the curses. And now he's telling them when they come upon you. Both the blessing and the curse. And second... They call them to mind among the nations to which they've been scattered as part of the curse. Now, whenever it says you call them to mind, they're they're calling them or these things, you begin to see that these things is much more robust than just the covenant curses or blessings. Or we refer to those as the sanctions of the covenant. Recalling them to mind involves more than just recalling the sanctions of the covenant, but recalling the stipulations of the covenant. The stipulations are, if you keep God's law, you will be blessed, and if you break covenant, if you break His law, if you forsake Him, you'll be cursed. The idea is that whenever they're scattered, they don't just think to themselves, God said this would happen. They think to themselves, more simply, God said. And they recall the covenant. Not just the sanctions of the covenant. They recall the covenant. And so clearly in mind here, the the win involves that they've experienced something of God's blessings, but now the curse is their reality. And it's in the midst of that curse that they call the covenant to mind. And having done so, third, They return to Yahweh. They turn to Him and obey His voice in all that He commands with all their heart and with all their soul. Now looking at these antecedents, especially the first two, in light of what Moses will soon say, I believe strongly justifies the ESV's choice of when instead of if. Not if these things happen, But when these things come upon you, in chapter 31, you read, verses 24 through 29, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end. So, whenever Moses finishes writing the things that you are in the future to call to mind when the curses come upon you, the very curse spoken of in this book, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh your God. 
that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against Yahweh. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I've commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of Yahweh, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. You sense the windness of what God is speaking of here. And this winness receives extensive treatment in the Song of Moses, chapter 32, where Moses prophetically says, This is the blessedness you've enjoyed. And yet, this is your future failure. And even though I speak this failure of you, there is this promise in the Song that Yahweh will not utterly forsake his people. And his covenant. This is the established history of the people of God. It is their history determined before it's happened. It is their declared history of their future. These things are certain to be so, but how are they certain? Is it that God is staring down through the corridors of time, seeing how things will unfold? Are these things to be because God is acting here as a seer or because he's acting as a sovereign? Does God simply know the future or has he determined it? And the answer as to why I think can begin to be seen, it'll, it'll unfold further, But it can begin to be seen in chapter 29 where Moses says, You have seen all that Yahweh did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. To Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, Yahweh has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. To this day, He's not given you a heart. You see in this passage that Israel is responsible. What is going to happen in this curse coming upon them will be because of their failures and their sins. And yet you also see God is sovereign. He has not given them a heart. Yahweh, through Moses, is telling them here, He is the one who is writing their story. He's disclosing something to them of the secret things, of how things are going to unfold. He is telling them not what man might do. He is telling them what he as God will do. So the antecedent here is foremost, temporal, historical, when these things happen. 
And yet, as we look at this in, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a kind of ifness that lies on the surface that we can't deny. The very sanctions that fall upon them, the blessing and the curse, were conditional upon their obedience to the covenant stipulations. We see it in verses 16 through 17. And well, just verse 16. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, then you shall live and multiply. Or looking at the, the curses and the blessings as they unfold in chapter 28. If you faithfully obey the voice of Yahweh your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, Yahweh your God will set you high above the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of Yahweh your God, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field. And on it goes. And likewise, the curses. But if you do not obey the voice of Yahweh your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And whenever you go to the prophets, don't you see that their message is basically verses 1 through 3 being forced in application upon them? These things have come upon you. God has been faithful to His covenant, though you have not been. And that's why you're now cursed. And being cursed, recall these things to mind. The, the, the prophets are acting as God's covenant pr prosecutors, bringing the covenant before the people. Remember these things. And if you will turn to Yahweh your God, and if you will love Him, He will have mercy upon you, and you will stay in the land, and He will bless you. So you see in verses 1 through 3, there is an ifness to this. It's the message of the prophets again and again as they bring the covenant to bear upon the people. So there's both a when and an if, but the when dominates. So that's the when. What about the then? Verse 3, then Yahweh your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh your God has scattered you. Blessing is promised, covenant blessing. And as you examine the blessings, as you look at them, the covenantal nature of them is plain. What are these promised blessings? Foremost, chiefly, centrally, the greatest blessing is reconciliation to their God. And you sense it in the four instances in verses 3 through 5 with the phrase Yahweh your God. Yahweh, your God. He is your God. There's reconciliation so that He's your covenant Lord and Redeemer. He's your God and He gathers you from all the people. It's not a relationship He has with everyone. He is Yahweh, your God, and He gathers you. And yes, you're being gathered back to this place, but chiefly, you're being gathered back to Him as His people. God's people in God's place. Reconciliation is the chief blessing. It's a promise of covenant renewal even though Israel has been unfaithful. God renews His vows to her. You remember early, to get a sense of what 
God is promising to be renewed. You remember early in Moses' encounters with Pharaoh, after the people are commanded by Pharaoh to make bricks without straw, God has this message for His people that He gives to Moses. I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's what's being spoken of here, a fresh redemption. And what you will see is just as with the Exodus where God said, I'm redeeming you and then bringing you to Sinai. So whenever you look at the witness of what's being spoken of here, it's not contingent upon Israel. It's God speaking unilaterally again about what he will do. Second, as a tangible manifestation. When this happens, then, the second part of then, as a tangible manifestation of their reconciliation to God, He will restore their fortunes. And this involves two things. They will possess the land. And, possessing the land, they will multiply and prosper and be fruitful there. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, they, they're loving Him with all their heart. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, blessedly so. As you look at this first pair, when, then, I think two things are, you can feel them to be in tension. As you look at the surface, ifness, being spoken of here. You recognize, I hope this has become clear as we've looked at the covenants, that the Mosaic covenant is an administration of the Abrahamic covenant. These blessings spoken of here are the blessings promised to Abraham. So the Mosaic covenant administers the Abrahamic covenant, but it does so to the physical offspring of Abraham. There's a physicality to it. Now, it's, it's not about ethnicity, pure and simple. There are Gentiles who are folded into national Israel even at this time. They're scattered about, but it happens. It's not primarily about ethnicity. But regardless of how it happens, there is a physicality to it. There is a nationality to it. It has to do with national Israel. So the Mosaic Covenant administers and it advances the Abrahamic covenant. It brings things that were only in promise into existence. Makes them tangible and real. But it does so with those who have the physical sign of circumcision. But circumcision itself, remember, is meant to signify a spiritual reality. Concerning Abraham, Paul tells us in Romans 4.11, that he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith 
while he was still uncircumcised. He had the thing signified before he had the sign. And what was signified was a spiritual reality. And so earlier in Romans chapter 2, Paul tells us that the true Jew is one who is one inwardly. For circumcision is a matter of the heart, not the flesh. So as you turn to look at the heart of this passage now, you sense the temporal and the historical, the witness of this text, and see that both the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant are holding something forth in promise. At the heart of this passage is a smaller passage concerning the heart, a circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Verse 8, you shall again obey the voice of Yahweh and keep all His commandments that I command you today. As we look at this promise of a new heart, it's a, if we think it's just a consequence, The consequences that are in the middle of this text are all blessings. And if we think this blessing is just another consequence along with all the others, then we've got a bit of a conundrum. It's a chicken or the egg conundrum. Which comes first? Because whether or not this passage is temporal or conditional, you've got the same conundrum. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Does the chicken of returning to the egg result in all these blessings, including a new heart? Or or how does this work? Because the wind states, when you turn to Yahweh and love Him with all your heart, then... And if you include this promise with all the then, all the other consequence, well, then you're told He will give you a new heart so that you love Him with all your heart. So which comes first, the chicken or the egg? It seems that you're being told that the chicken will lay an egg, and that egg will hatch the very chicken that laid it. What helps you to make sense of this? And I think the only way you really make sense of everything is first you begin to realize there is an absolute winness promised here. And so you start to look at the story as it unfolds, and it tells you that this promise stands out from all the other promises and causes the win so that then all the other promises come into play. It's a promise that meets the antecedent, resulting in the consequent. Remember earlier we asked why why it is that the curse comes upon them. Why does this win begin to happen? And the answer is because Yahweh had not given them a heart. And what you see in the center of this passage that speaks of them bearing the consequences of Yahweh not having given them a new heart, coming into that reality as a result of their own wickedness, is that as the passage begins to unfold, He speaks of the day when He will give them a new heart. One day He will. 
Again, here's a blessing that stands out distinct from all the other blessings and will meet the conditions, will cause the wind so that then they are blessed. Now, why do I say that? Is, is, is there justification within the context of Deuteronomy for such an interpretation and reading? Yes, you can look at how Israel's history unfolds. I think that does it. But is there, is there justification within the text itself of Deuteronomy? Chapter 4, you find a peculiar mix of ifness and winness as Moses is speaking there. But notice how that passage ends with a note of certainty. Deuteronomy 4, 25-31. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of Yahweh your God so as to provoke Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land you are going over to the Jordan to possess." You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh will drive you. And there you will serve other gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. From there you will seek Yahweh your God. From there you will seek Yahweh your God, and you will find Him. Isn't that a peculiar turn? If you happen and you're scattered... But then it turns to a promise. If you forsake him and he scatters you, but from there you will seek Yahweh your God and you will find him. If, there's a conditional part again, you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation, all these things come upon you in the latter days. And you could say, well, the when makes it sound as if here's the condition and when this happens, it it makes it sound... But notice, in the latter days, it's being spoken of as something certain, as their established history that's yet to unfold. In the latter days, you will return to Yahweh your God and obey His voice. For, this is why all this is certain. Yahweh your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you. Or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. After these curses have come upon them. And they are scattered. Then you'll have Jeremiah declaring. Behold the days are coming. The latter days. The days are coming declares Yahweh. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God And they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In chapter 32, Jeremiah speaks of this new covenant as the everlasting covenant. 
I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Do you see this is the same promise? That the heart of these promises is a promise that stands out distinct, that meets the win for all the other promises, all the other things spoken of as then in this passage. Ezekiel speaks to Judah while she is in exile saying, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Remember what's chiefly being held out here in this win is not conditional. It is temporal. It's historical. It's the story as it's going to unfold because at the heart of the promises made here is a promise that stands out distinct. Not as part of the then, but as what causes the win that leads to the then. If God doesn't give the new heart, they will not turn. If God does not give this new heart, they will not love Him with all their heart and with all their soul. If God does not circumcise their heart, they will not obey His voice and all that He commands them. Now, understanding this, I believe, is critical. How all this works out is critical for a proper understanding of covenant theology. So let me set before you three propositions, and I want you in your mind to answer which one is correct. Three propositions. Number one, the first, the Mosaic covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace, or what we refer, would refer to as the new covenant. The Mosaic covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace. Second, the Mosaic covenant isn't the new covenant. And third, the Mosaic covenant is not an administration of the new, but it does minister the new in promise. The old is not an administration of the new itself, but it does hold forth the new in promise. The first, the Mosaic Covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace. Despite my beloved Presbyterian friends, I disagree. It is not so. There are persons who are part of the Mosaic Covenant that have no part in the new covenant. The Mosaic Covenant ministers the Abrahamic Covenant to physical national Israel. 
And there are souls that are part of physical national Israel that have the physical sign of circumcision, but they have nothing of what was signified thereby. The Mosaic Covenant is not identical to the New Covenant, such that if you're under the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of grace is being administered to you. They are not the same thing. They're not identical. Second proposition. So the first one's incorrect. The second one is insufficient. The Mosaic Covenant isn't the new covenant. All by itself, that's insufficient. Yes, it's true as far as it goes. The Mosaic Covenant is not the new covenant. Jeremiah said as much, didn't he? I will make a new covenant with them, not like the covenant I made that they broke. That's true, but it doesn't go far enough. And our text shouts that that statement does not go far enough all by itself. The third proposition, the Mosaic covenant is not an administration of the new, but it does minister the new in promise. I believe this is the correct one. It's not an administration of the new, but it does minister the new in promise. There is both an is not and an isness that we can glean from our text. And the is not relates to the ifness that we sense lies on the surface of this passage and is seen throughout Deuteronomy as a whole. There's an ifness. The Mosaic Covenant is not the new. But as it speaks of this winness, as it's holding forth something in promise, we can see it ministering the new. The Mosaic Covenant is not the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, but it holds it forth and speaks to it and testifies to it and ministers it as a promise in its form, in its types, in its shadows does not administer the covenant of grace, but it does advance the covenant of grace, giving it greater light and shape and form and promise and hope. Then we come to the then again in verse 9. Yahweh your God will make you abundantly prosperous in the work of your hand, the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your ground. Yahweh will again take delight in prospering you as He took delight in your father's. This is basically repeating the promised blessings that you see in 3 through 5. And that this is a then, that verse 9 is again a then, is clear by the when in verse 10. This prospering, this blessing will happen when, and it's the same when. When you obey the voice of Yahweh your God to keep His commandments and His statutes. But as it's been, the order's now reversed as we're approaching the then and the when again. As the order's reversed and it's prefaced by, Yahweh your God will give you a heart. And you shall obey and love. And there will be these blessings when you love. Well, when will we love? When Yahweh gives us that new heart. That he's promised. The then is that God will make them prosperous, verse 9. The when is they're obeying his voice, keeping his commands, turning to him with all their heart and with all their soul. And that happens 
Whenever this promise that's distinct from all the other promises comes to be, and God circumcises their heart so that they love Him with all their heart and with all their soul. When is this when met? When Yahweh circumcises the heart. This is a promise that meets the condition for all the other promises. Christopher Wright comments, The fundamental demand of the law to love God with all one's heart and soul is presented as the ultimate fruit of God's grace in the human heart. And it's whenever this love that is created by God's grace, it's when God does that, that then grace will be poured out on top of that and bring God's loving children into the land of promise. It isn't because... Well, you met these conditions and you've merited these blessings. It's temporal. Before God, God says, before I bring you back to this holy land, this land set apart for me where I am Lord of my people, before I do it, next time I will make you a holy people first. And being a holy people, you will be brought back to this land. And that's why it's an everlasting covenant. Without threat of you messing it up again. That's the hope that's held forth here to a people sure to fail. Do you see what God is saying? He's saying, you will fail. And my grace is bigger than all your failures. And let me just give you a smidgen of it here. He's saying to his people at this point. Of the secret things. That are yet to unfold. To make it so. The law. Chicken. Lays a gospel egg. And that gospel egg. Hatches. With a love law. A law love. Rather, and prepares us to be a people to inherit his eternal blessings. The old holds forth the new in promise. The gospel flower of the new comes into bloom with Jesus Christ, but it's held forth here by the stem of the old covenant. The old covenant is the stem. Everything about the old covenant shouts flower. But it's only holding it forth as a bud of promise. And whenever spring and resurrection comes and life bursts forth and that flower opens up in full bloom, a seed falls to the ground and it will not return to God void. It will bring forth His purpose and His purpose is to bring about love from a new heart in our souls, that hears His voice and obeys His commands. If you've experienced, saints, if you've experienced something of that grace, if you know, oh, that beautiful work of regeneration 
that God has done into my heart. I was dead and now I'm alive. I did not love him, but now I love him. I did not believe, but now I trust in him and him alone. If God has done that work and circumcised your heart, if that win has happened when you love him, if that win has happened, rest assured, this then is certain. He will gather His people from everywhere that they are scattered. From every people, every tribe, every tongue. He will gather them. Carry forth the gospel with confidence. He will gather them. He has many sheep for whom He died and they will hear His voice. He will gather them. He will not lose one. And once gathered, once the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, once He has gathered them all, He will restore their fortunes. He will bring them into His land, judging their enemies who will forever be cursed, bringing us into our inheritance, the land of promise, the earth made new, dwelling with us forever, God's people in God's place, under God's rule, Blessedly so. Saints, the promise of heart circumcision has made you new. That when has happened. Be assured of the then promise here that He will make all things new. And having done so, having given you that new heart, and at that point, having made you completely new, He will bring you into it And there will never be a threat of you losing that inheritance because of that work of heart circumcision. That's the difference between the old and the new, is this new heart that's a guarantee of a new creation. Sinner, plead with you, return to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey His call and bow before Him as Savior and Lord, knowing that He is the one who died for sin and rose, defeating its curse. And He promises, if you will do so, all the blessings laid forth here as a hope will be yours eternally so. But whenever you do turn and obey and love, And trust. Well then you will know. And it will be your joy to say. All glory be to Christ. He has made my heart new. The reason why I trusted and obeyed. Was because he. Brought me forth from the dead. And gave me faith. And gave me love. All praise. All the saints will say, all praise be to the covenant God of Israel who has made His promise to bloom in Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, I pray for Your children that our faith is strengthened knowing what You've done. That Just as you outlined it to Moses ages ago, 
so things have unfolded. And we, oh, how blessed and privileged we are to stand at this point. We stand in the midst of this promise made the secret thing come into full light in Christ, crucified and resurrected, and us in union with Him, risen to newness of life, our hearts circumcised with love and faith unto you. And so comfort our hearts, Father, that standing in the midst of this windness, we can be certain of the then. You gave a promise that met the conditions for us. It's not contingent upon us. All praise, glory, and honor be to you. And so, strengthening our faith by your word in this manner, may we more so love you with all of our heart and with all of our soul and obey your commands as an expression of our love and gratitude and belief, our confidence that these things are so. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.